0: So this is the fifth podcast in the fourth season of uh, uh, Scottish Age and um, I just put a little bit of a recording at the beginning to explain that this was an hour-long talk that I gave spontaneously after uh, doing some meditation practice, my, my nightly sit. Um, but unfortunately we had a little bit of a technical hitch. I say we, I had a bit of a technical hitch, it's my mistake um and i lost <laughs> 20 minutes of the footage at the end for some reason also the sound went weird so in this one the sound doesn't quite sync up with the picture after a little while um so i was going to delete it i was going to go oh, well whatever throw it away um but somebody else listened to it and decided that actually it was probably still really useful they found it quite valuable i think to just have even the first 40 minutes of my hour um so i put it here anyway even though it's technically a bit weird, the sound's a bit odd. It looks like I'm in one of those old Shaw movies, Kung Fu movies where they dub the sound um, and it doesn't quite, not quite in time with the voice. Um, But if you're just listening to this on iTunes or something anyway, then I guess you won't even know. You won't notice. But also, yeah, the last 20 minutes cut off, but weirdly it still kind of comes to a sensible conclusion. I just left out a component at the end or, or rather the video did. So hopefully it's still okay. Hopefully it's still listenable too, Um, and hopefully there's something useful in there, but in future I shall record the podcast with two cameras, so that I don't lose the footage. It should forever be known as the lost footage at the end of this episode, the stuff of legends. So, sorry about that guys, my technical uselessness, but hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, just another chat by me, (laughs) another informal rambling after my... uh practice this evening here in my peaceful spot so uh i really want to talk about a, a concept to do with uh, the way that we analyze or experience ourselves or experience the the mind uh, during practice and it's it's one of these things that one of these qualities that really became clear to me through my practice now that's not to mean that <laughs> somebody didn't explain it to me earlier I'm sure somebody did many times on my development but I think that's often what happens isn't it you're given a teaching or you're told something or maybe you read something maybe you philosophically analyze something so you kind of know the concept but you still don't apply it you know like it there has to come a stage in your training or stage in your practice when you kind of realize it for yourself Kind of like when you got that one friend that you give them an idea and they're like nah, and you give them an idea and nah, and then when they come up with the idea, it's perfect because that idea had to be theirs. And I think <laughs> I think really, you everybody knows somebody like that, right? Maybe a family member or something. But uh, I think we all have that to a certain degree, and I think this definitely applies with with meditation practice. And I think that here being in retreat for so many months, spending each night, each morning, and each night focusing on 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 my, my seated work, has really clarified many of these concepts to me. But again, if I talk about these things with you, if I discuss them, it's just a work in progress, you know? Like, that's the point of these kind of informal, long form chats that I do, um, is that my idea might switch, might change at a later stage. It's only a representation of what I'm working on right now and just sort of thinking out loud and sharing it with. With the wider community in case there's something helpful there you know but don't take it as gospel it's just my <laughs> just my current explorations so essentially uh you, you, the way that the mind interacts with uh something dripping on me that's gross i don't know the Do geckos pee i'm not sure there's a tree above me maybe they're peeing on me off a tree and um, yeah with regards to how the mind views the world uh really i think and the way that we interact with our mind, um, it's divided into three stages, because Chinese arts, they love three, right? But classically divided into three, and and some forms of Chinese Buddhism talk about this, and Taoism definitely talks about this as well, in that essentially uh, we have the sensory connection to the outside world, uh, which is really, you know, the, the stage at which we perceive something as being independent from us that's really what that first stage is about it gives us the ability to interact with the world now we explore that first level of consciousness really it's kind of the just simply the stage of taking in information depending upon our sense gates you know our sense faculties as well as our thought processes because if you've ever listened to any of my stuff before you know that the thoughts are one of the sense gates you know so we take in this information on this first level and really uh The second stage is as we start to filter that information as we start to filter and apply our own biases, our own lenses, we apply our own understanding um, from prior experience generally to that information that the sense gates are taking in. And this is a part of the reason why they say that people cannot experience the world for how it is or why we don't see things the way they truly are because as soon as we receive that information you're applying your biases and filters to it. So, I mean, that happens with events when people say something and it reminds you of a similar event, or so a feeling arises in you or something like this and you get insulted or you feel happy or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. But it also happens with objects. You know, I mean, I remember being a child and I'd have been fascinated by the texture on a wall or something. I could get lost in that for a long time like most kids do or we, they could get fascinated in playing with a stick or an object or or whatever, you know, it just because there's a whole level of sort of sensory exploration of that object there's the feeling the texture the color the taste in some cases when you're a kid you're a bit weird aren't you but you're exploring all like all of the different facets of the nature of that object but then as you get older and you've seen enough of those objects i've seen enough walls i've seen enough sticks then by association i no longer see the details in that object anyway unless i consciously choose to scrutinize because you just go wall tree floor object gecko piss whatever it doesn't matter it just becomes something that is almost categorized within your mind now because you're often just filtering through categories of experiences that you've had before you also have a kind of pre-decided idea of whether you like something your biases your preferences your prejudices that are already there so then the first level of consciousness of mind is taking in that information the second level of consciousness is just processing and filtering it Uh, according to our biases and and mental distortions and then the third stage of consciousness we could call maybe true nature or true consciousness that deeper part of your being that is more akin to what you are yeah that true nature that thing that's always going to be difficult to define so I'm going to struggle a little bit I mean the experience that people will often have when they touch the true nature is that kind of uh, spacious kind of feeling where everything becomes expansive um, and you suddenly devoid Of the sense faculties or the sense objects you know it's that that thing that people touch upon in meditation and this is really what i want to talk about because i think that there's often an error with regards to the location of your or of many people and there was for me for a long time there's an error with regards to where you place your awareness with regards to starting to try to understand yourself or to explore the workings of mind because if we think about the three different locations you can have your your awareness which is a mental exercise as much as anything so you can have it on the first level which would essentially be to fully register everything that your sense gates are reading isn't it so if I'm sat there in meditation practice or or self-analysis doesn't even have to be meditation but I'm fully aware of what I feel and what I'm hearing and I've got my eyes closed and so not what I'm seeing except maybe visually creative phenomena and, and then I'm kind of paying attention to my breath or the body this is kind of the first level of consciousness isn't it because you're still very much tuned in uh, to the level of mental connection to the world that you would be in the waking world it's not much different is it outside meditation inside meditation not much so different at that stage now this doesn't mean we don't stay with that first level of consciousness because often you do because you use something in the body the somatic experience the breath the body whatever it is um, as an anchor to sort of lock the mind onto a little bit so that the hubbub of your mental chatter goes away so it's quite a useful tool for leading that kind of calm quality that settled quality the calm abiding but really it's only the first level of consciousness the second level of consciousness we'll come back to that part of the distortion yeah the distorting area and then the third level of consciousness that kind of true state that emptiness is often what a lot of people will then jump to from the first process so they'll go from paying attention to the body, paying attention to the breath, paying attention to the dantian, whatever it is, an object that you're somatically experiencing. And then they'll try to jump to emptiness. So they'll go, right, okay, I've been listening to my body and now I'm just going to absorb into the void of true nature. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of people will have that kind of experience. Um, And even people will accidentally go from consciousness one to consciousness three, won't they? They kind of drop out of kind of the sense gates into this kind of empty um, experience that's void of independent objects or void of conscious information and and I think that uh, a lot of people will have that experience and funnily enough a lot of people will try to chase that experience afterwards won't they because seeing that third level that true consciousness can be quite profound initially it's like holy fuck there's something there that's not <laughs> not my usual sensory way of understanding the world so this becomes like a pursuit that people undertake and i i, I can recognize that i recognize getting stuck there myself definitely that and you end up kind of slingshot in between the two because you can't live in emptiness not really like how would you function how would you get up and go to the shop or bother to go to the toilet or something <laughs> you just sit there peeing yourself not leaving your house you would essentially be slightly um vegetated state like you can't live there so people will try to sort of get there and then they'll maybe sometimes the the frustration or the effort of that will involve a movement of mind which by its very nature pulls you back to the first level of consciousness anyway so people kind of slingshot between the two and if that happens then and this is where i was for ages when i was younger definitely like you you end up kind of experience chasing because you're totally used to living in the first level of consciousness and your first level of consciousness with your sensory gates can either be calm or stressed so you use your meditation practice to calm down out of the stress but then what you do is you jump to the experience of true consciousness and then back into your mind when you then finish your practice or whatever and and ultimately nothing changes like you have an experience but you're still you you know like i do my meditation practice and then i i experience this voidness this true nature but then i come out of the true nature back onto my life, I'm still Demo. I'm still the same person, I still got the same hopes, fears, phobias, worries, paranoia. Nothing is transforming, nothing is converting. And there's many people that, and I know this from talking to people, it's not me just surmising, judging or anything. I mean, I know it from conversations with people that There are many people stuck in this place for a really long time in meditation practice or in their internal work and then they get frustrated, they get really annoyed because they like I've been doing meditation for 20 years and I've still got these phobias, these paranoias, these, these annoyances, nothing is changing but I've had these profound experiences, I've experienced the bliss, I've experienced the emptiness, I've experienced this connection to my true nature but I'm still stuck with this kind of discomfort and the reason is in my opinion because the awareness has been in the wrong place. One of the things that meditation often teaches, or I shouldn't say meditation, the Chinese arts definitely, is that the middle place is where you should go. The middle link in the chain of three. So really, what we should be looking at, or, or certainly this is what I do in my practice, is we should be looking at the second level of consciousness. Not the first, not the third, the second. Because the second is the causative place, the chain that enables the information from consciousness one to be stored in consciousness three because consciousness three really actually stores that kind of experience that we have kind of like consciousness is learning about itself from the way that we're interacting with the world and this becomes the basis of something called samsara in in buddhist practice which we'll revisit later because samsara is often a bit misunderstood as well i think um, and then of course the other way true nature will then express itself via consciousness two, the distortion into consciousness one to enable us to draw upon the storehouse that we have to uh, essentially compare and mentally file (laughs) like some kind of filing system the experiences we get through the first level of consciousness through the information we draw in i hope this makes sense i hope it's not too complicated talking about there's only three levels right so essentially number two consciousness two is the go-between the translator the thing that enables our outside world center experience to communicate with our true nature or rather our true nature to communicate with the world via the sense faculties so how do we create actual change in us this is the question isn't it how do we actually meditate or do our it doesn't even have to be meditation does it internal practice so that we don't practice 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 20 years later but with still the same moron in my case (laughs) that i was when i started the practice i didn't want to be that schmuck I wanting to at least be a slightly evolved schmuck you know after that time practicing so very frustrating to find that essentially i'm still in the same position i can sit there and go well i had a profound experience but i've still got the same insecurities i still got the same fears so hmm that's a frustrating place to be now the reason is in my opinion because it's the second level of consciousness we look at look at because it's the second level of consciousness that's really gonna give us insight into who we are. The first level of consciousness won't give us insight into who we are, how can it? The first level of consciousness is simply absorbing information. I'm looking at this Buddha statue, I'm looking at this smoke, choking on this smoke, I'm looking at this wall, looking at this tree, wondering if the gecko's gonna do anything else on me or something like that, you know, I'm, this is just first consciousness, I'm not gonna learn about myself, I might learn about the world, but I'm not gonna learn about me. The third level of consciousness isn't really going to give us any insight into ourself either. How can it? Because it's beyond self, ultimately. <laughs> it's it's. at a stage, it's at a state prior to or deeper than, depending on how you want to look at it, that individuated part of our being. So how can I understand myself if I look at something that's beyond myself? And this is the conundrum that I was trapped in for a, a long time, and, and I see a lot of other people trapped in as well. If they're trying to do that, trying to understand the self by looking at the non-self or experiencing non-self, it's not going to happen. That's like having two people stood next to each other and try to understand this person by talking to the other one. It's not going to happen. You have to talk directly or you have to communicate directly with that thing that you're trying to understand. You have to give your awareness directly to the part of the being that you want to know. And that to me is the second level of consciousness. So what are you? That's a big question, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> and one that all different traditions have tried to answer in different ways and so on and so on and maybe we could try to intellectually understand that but ultimately you are the second level of consciousness aren't you? out of those three if we have to choose those three which one are you? you're the second one because are you the emptiness? no, oh, not really I, I can you know, there's obviously the schools of thought where people say that they are This is, but yeah, that's a very profound realization but it's not really like when I'm talking about who i am i'm talking about who is the i that is interacting with the world on a daily basis i'm not talking about the profound concept of, of connection to sort of brahmin or something like that or brahma I'm, I'm talking about like who how do i communicate with the world you know so am i the first level of consciousness well no because the first level of consciousness is just that which interacts so what am i i am the distortions that exist upon that process that's what i am I take in the information i filter that information through my biases on the second level of consciousness my distortions my prejudices my preferences my memories and all of those things to create a story around the experiences that i'm having whether those experiences come from the sense faculties or from my own mind and then that story becomes who i view myself to be and then what happens ultimately is that story then goes on to be stored to a certain degree of maybe we can say the bridge between the second and third parts of consciousness and that storehouse that memory then becomes the basis of ultimately samsara because the memory what it starts to do is create a kind of weight that pulls us into this cycle of repeated information of then re-repeating re-experiencing thing according to these distortions so it's 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 really even samsara even this idea of recycling of rebirth of being trapped in a certain stage really also depends upon that second level of consciousness. So can we dissolve past that straight into the third level? It's possible for some but not for many. I don't think so. I don't think so. Some people can you know and I think that's just because not everybody's born equal with regards to their innate potential. I know we don't like to say that in this world where everybody's equal and I think we're all equal with regards to right well (laughs) as soon as I say it I know that's wrong we should be equal with regards to our rights of course everybody here has the same right to live on this earth and share space and communicate with each other and and enjoy our lives or, or whatever but I don't think we all have the same potential I don't think so I think potentials differ you know and we might be strong in some areas and weak in others but there's there's variations here and, and some people have a potential to just absorb straight into that third level of consciousness but they're rare they're very very rare individuals more rare than than we often would like to admit you know it's very rare for most of us I think that understanding the nature of the second level of consciousness is key because if you can break that bridge so you can understand that chain link To such an extent that it moves completely out of an unconscious process to a conscious process which is really what we're going to look at in a second then what this does is it changes the way that consciousness 1 and consciousness 3 communicate with each other changes the way they communicate with each other so now what happens is the way that true consciousness interacts with the sense faculties and the way the world is is not placed through that same level of distortion or it's not placed through the distortions in an unconscious fashion and as soon as it's not placed through those distortions in an unconscious fashion, then something transforms within us and ultimately we start to wake up. And that waking up, that awakening, comes from the development of insight into the nature of the second level of consciousness. Now some people think awakening is experiencing the third consciousness. So I've been doing meditation for my 10-day Vipassana. That one was good enough. So I did a second 10 day passion. <laughs> and then halfway through that second 10 day Vipassana. Boom. There it is. There's the experience of something that's beyond self. That's beyond mind. And then they come out of it. And they, they, they think. Oh, I'm awakened. And it's like. Mm, maybe. But maybe not. Because you're still the same schmuck. Still the same schmuck you were before. And again. I'm not insulting you. Or I'm not trying to. I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> I'm talking about myself. I'm insulting myself. That awakening process really to me is more about not experiencing the third level of true nature, but really understanding the nature of the second level of consciousness and understanding the distortion process that we go through as the information comes into us. That's it, right? Because if something is unconscious, I'm going to generalize here, maybe this is wrong. There might be some incorrections here, so um, feel free to nitpick if you want to. But uh, you know, ultimately, I'm just trying to give you a concept, so it might not be a hundred percent accurate. But if something is unconscious, ultimately, they we could say that lar- well, mental. If a mental process is unconscious, we could say that largely it's reactive or habitual. That's the generalisation I'm going to make. Largely, it's reactive or habitual. I think that's fair to say. So what that means is I take in the information, I look at the Buddha, I smell the smoke um, or whatever, I feel the wall maybe, and then there's a whole series of processes that my mind goes through, isn't it, that I'm not necessarily aware of. So I looked at the Buddha and I didn't really, I didn't bow to it, I didn't have any reverence for it, but obviously when I see the Buddha there's a, a load of associations that I have that run through my mind, isn't there? There's concepts I have around what a Buddha is and places I've been where I've Buddhas, and the things I've been taught about it, what I know about his life story, how it makes me feel, but all of these things largely are just unfolding super quickly. At the same time as this, uh, the texture of the wall probably has things I associate with it, the colours, the smell of the smoke has all these, all of these things that are just habitually running, they're a habit, they're not something I'm in control of, it's there, it's all forming, and that's a good job really, it's a good job it's habitual, because I mean I'm looking at so many different things and smelling so many things and touching so many things on a day-to-day basis I wouldn't want to be consciously aware the whole time of all of the different filtering processes going on it would be a nightmare it'd be like mental overload so if some of it has to be on autopilot in order for you to function you have to have that distorted self in order to function now the other side of it is reactivity because that's all habitual but then there's reactivity as well isn't there when i take something in there's a feeling that comes back that's a reaction so for example i look at the buddha and obviously because of my chosen life path i do have a fair degree of reverence as much as i can as a godless englishman i have a certain degree of reverence for the imagery of buddha and the life story of buddha and the attainments of buddha now of course all of these things are um, not necessarily negatives, but they are attachments, they are ideas, they are concepts that's there, so what happens is when I see the Buddha, especially bathed in this rather artistic, semi, sort of post-apocalyptic, in some ways, light, this kind of dramatic kind of thing here, that that image comes in and there's a reactivity that that comes back out of me, and that reactivity is not negative, It's like a warm feeling, this is great, I feel good, I feel spiritual (laughs) while I'm sat here because of my connection I have to it. Now at the same time other things can make us feel sad or frightened or empowered, disempowered, angry, whatever. This kind of reaction that we have that arises automatically out of us. These are all the distortions, these are you, these are your sense of self, these are the, the things that we want to understand. So how do we change this process? Well, we have to bring that which is unconscious towards consciousness. We have to be aware of it, not knowing it intellectually. You know, I mean, I always think that the kind of antithesis to, in many ways, but not other ways, the antithesis to spiritual work is philosophy, because I meet a lot of philosophers. They normally smoke a lot of cannabis, don't they? <laughs> to be honest, but that sit around and talk and talk and talk about spiritual practice, and they surmise this and surmise that and say this and say that and read that but but often they don't have any direct experience this is the problem they can talk a good practice but they don't have a good experience now at the same time I'm not saying you shouldn't ever analyze intellectually but do be aware that it's only useful to a point and it becomes useless or unhelpful to us when we start to mistake that intellectual study for actual experience direct experience and, and really it's what we want is the direct experience. So what I need to be able to do is directly experience that process taking place. Now first of all I can't do that straight away looking around the room looking at the light smelling smoke touching the wall stroke the Buddha rub his head for luck or whatever and have all of these sensory experiences and then do that Process. Go through that process of making the unconscious conscious, the unaware aware, bringing it to the front, shining the light on the on the distortion process of our sense of self. Because there's too much going on, too much going on. I can't do that all the time. So I have to sit still, (laughs) close my eyes, shut out some of that information, breathe, settle, slow down the mind, so there is less stimuli, less information coming in. I mean, that's really what the first level of meditation is, isn't it? Calming down, slowing it all down a bit stabilize the mind so less objects come in then what happens is I really want to have my awareness on the second level of consciousness while I'm trying to develop some kind of insight into the nature of who I am because I need to understand where is the habitual reactivity that is taking place inside me where are these unconscious distortions that are there now interestingly like we don't analyze in a psychological way, like psychoanalytical, because that becomes like a form of philosophy as well, doesn't it? And the very act that you're thinking psychoanalytically produces a thought stream that really becomes another object in its own right. So that's very, that's very difficult, isn't it? And this is really where the key is. We simply apply our awareness to it. That's it. It's the simplest thing and the hardest thing. Because if I've got a process taking place, I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know how I'm going to demonstrate this in my hands. That's the distortion process. I <laughs> don't know what that is. But the distortion process is taking place. If I apply my awareness to it, then we have to be careful because certain things will, will start to happen, won't they? Sorry, I keep looking up here. The moon is beautiful. It's a very large full moon giving off like a ring of light. It almost looks like, a, well, it is a rainbow pattern around it. And it's coming through the clouds over the jungle. Super nice. I wish I could share it with you but you know what it's like when you try to photograph or film the moon it looks really impressive to you then you look at the footage it just looks like a little (laughs) white dot doesn't it it's ultimately a bit of a a bit of an anti-climax but sorry I'll stop getting distracted by the moon I'm always absorbed by the moon's beauty ignore it ignore the moon so when I apply my awareness to that process you're going to want to do several things and you can't do those things because what you're going to want to do is judge or analyze or make a point of or make a note of and you can't actually because well you can and you will (laughs) for a long time because all of those things what they'll start to do is they actually just become an expression of the distortion in its own right it's like another trick by the mind it's like i'm not looking at consciousness one the sense objects i'm not looking at consciousness three true emptiness i'm looking at consciousness two the distortions of self and when i look at it it produces more distortions of self (laughs) which strengthens that so you can't do that you have to apply the awareness in a very passive, neutral, non-judgmental, almost disinterested fashion. And to me, this is an expression of Wu Wei, because Wu Wei doesn't mean non-doing. Sat there like a lemon. What it means is to non-govern, or not to change, or not to affect. For me, one of the greatest analogies for Wu Wei was that it was said that a genren Ren um, should be able to walk the earth without leaving any footprints. I've definitely paraphrased badly, but you know what I mean? Leave no footprints behind or or something like this. Now, you could talk about that being like sort of a political, philosophical influence on the world, of course. But to me as well, with regards to mental qualities, if I'm leaving no footprints, that means my awareness must be able to observe the distortions of the sense of self without creating more sense of self, without creating more distortions, because those are the footprints. So what I'm trying to do is non-govern, because as soon as I judge, go, oh yeah, (laughs) that's why I'm a dickhead. I've created a kind of governing, a kind of distortion, I've left more footprints. To non-govern means to simply become aware of, but accept. (laughs) And that's it. Now what happens is as I become aware of that process, I accept, I don't judge, I'm neutral to it, I'm a passive bystander, just paying attention to that, giving my awareness of that. It's that process experientially moves from the unconscious towards the conscious. Now, as it moves into the conscious, what starts to happen is your body, your mind rather, starts to no longer need it. So it starts to separate out. It's like, oh, you've dug this up, don't need it anymore. And it's amazing how your mind will filter it, will start to change it, get rid of it. Because things only have a power over you if you don't know they're there. It's almost like subliminal messaging. Once someone's pointed out the subliminal messaging, it doesn't work. Once you can see the little snippet of extra footage they put in there or the advertising or the dodgy messages in Disney posters (laughs) or whatever and someone shows you, they don't work anymore because you can see them because they're now conscious, not unconscious. And this is the problem with the sense of self is often it's unconscious. Now the problem is when we try to analyze it intellectually, Oddly, you just create more unconscious because the act of analyzing creates more filters. So it's only the awareness applied in a passive fashion to that process that brings it from the unconscious towards the conscious mind where it can then be shed. And do you know what happens? Once you do this, you don't suddenly go, right, this is this is wrong to me for cultivation. Good for therapy, not for cultivation. Right, why do I feel this way or react this way? Because... Of this thing that happened and okay that's why that's the root cause that's analysis now as soon as you're doing that you're actually creating a greater degree of distortion now that distortion psychologically might move you to a happier state but with regards to cultivation it's negative because you're trying to get away from this a little bit so what's more healthy is this I apply my awareness to the process that's taking place as the information from consciousness one goes to consciousness three level one to level three and I'm paying attention to that middle point in the three link chain but I haven't really learned anything (laughs) there's no insight now but then I stop my practice and I walk away and then boom you get a sudden insight and that's what happens insight arises and it doesn't even arise at that moment it's like oh there's a shift there's a switch and I don't even know what it is I don't know if it's that trauma, I don't know if it's that anger, I don't know if it's that argument, remember something has shifted, I can't even put my finger on it, I don't know what has shifted, but I'm different, and the world is different, the way that the information that's coming in is being experienced by my true self is not the same, there's a shift and normally at first that's a shift sideways rather than a shift forwards if you get what I mean and I mean by that shift backwards would be negative we're becoming more distorted shift forwards would be moving towards a greater degree of transcendence or awakening shift sideways see metaphorical distances when I'm talking sideways I mean like there's a shift there's a change but it's not necessarily moving you towards a more beneficial state if we had to put some horribly linear metaphor in it there's just kind of a different perception and that's what happens is you kind of shift sideways a little bit there's a fluidity in your nature there's a fluidity in the way that you start to understand or perceive the world you couldn't really say one was more awakened than another it's just a change process and this to me is like a very destabilizing stage where you don't quite know who you are and things shift likes and dislikes and preferences and reactivities and habits and I don't know exactly what's going on but Sometimes what happens with practice, there's a shift. Okay, again, it's a horribly black and white metaphor, I know, but forwards. There's a shift towards a point where some of the filters are gone. Now there's a truer experience of things. And do you know what happens? Life becomes more beautiful. That's the first thing that happens. If life is not becoming more beautiful, there hasn't been a shift forward. Because one of the reasons that we don't recognize the beauty in life anymore is because of the sheer amount of other experiences we've had in the association. So the first time I looked at this Buddha statue, even on a really simplistic level, I walked into this garden, turned on the lights at night. Whoa, that's beautiful, isn't it? Look at this Buddha sat here in the middle of the jungle. How beautiful. By the 25th time I'd seen the Buddha, it's like, oh, there's Buddha. The beauty in Buddha is gone. Now you might say, well, just because it's not got such a novelty anymore, it's not so new, the, the kind of novelty, that the initial experience. I've forgotten the word whatever it is but you know what i mean that that initial experience is it's gone i've lost that it's not new anymore but why what is there like have you ever analyzed why something becomes less interesting the more you see it why the statue is less interesting why the beauty of the jungle is less interesting? why people y- you knew you known for a long time become less interesting? maybe why beauty disappears on something it's because you're no longer seeing it like you did at first because when it was new I still might have had some associations with Buddha, of course, but I saw more of the detail and I saw more of the shadow and the light and the, the texture and, and the, the experience of seeing this thing, this beautiful piece of stonework or something. It makes it sound like a really like this statue, I don't know, but you know what I mean. Whereas after a while because I've seen it, it's compartmentalized, so I'm no, long, I'm no longer experiencing it for what it is anymore because it's just become a part of me, a part of an object that is independent in its own right. It's not existing anymore because of my experience of it. It's existing as an object that's just stored within that consciousness. Now, what happens is as I start to not shift sideways, but shift forwards towards a more awakened state, for want of a better word, it almost sounds cocky to say it, so, you know, you can replace that with whatever words you want because people like to call me cocky and arrogant, I've noticed, which I don't think is amazingly fair. I don't think that's fair. If actually you knew personally um self-critical I was and how um, unsure of my self I was in many levels I don't think I don't think arrogance is something you apply would apply to me but I but it does it does is something people say about me and I sometimes think that actually because the words I choose are a little bit maybe the wrong words. so this is one of those examples when I say closer to awakening maybe. You can change that word for something that makes me sound less of an ass because it kind of sounds like I'm, I'm implying an awakened state isn't it but that's not what i'm doing yeah i'm still a schmuck so why am i talking about that yes because the closer i move towards that state there's less filters so actually then i'm able to re-experience the beauty of this thing the, Bu- the buddha every time i see it i don't just go buddha like i actually see it in a better way and, and it's the same with the world like i can go out now more than i could when i, w- I was like I used to definitely, because I mean, I've traveled all over the planet. Well, that's not true actually. I've traveled all over Asia, quite extensively in America now as well, but mostly over Asia, masses of, I've covered so much of Asia. Years after years of studying and studying and traveling and I've probably been blessed enough to see some of the most beautiful sights on earth that Asia has to offer, in America. But I have to say, and I'll sound like a dickhead here, but many of them have been really boring I've climbed the most beautiful mountain and gone, nice view. I've gone to the most amazing temple and gone, a temple. <laughs> now why? Because I stopped experiencing things for how they were and I just simply passed consciousness one through the filter of consciousness two to create this distorted view of based upon my sense of self and my prior experiences. But the more that I started to shift towards developing insight into that process, bringing the unconscious state of consciousness the second part of my mental processes into the conscious state, then the awareness applied there start to break it down. So once again, I can re-experience the beauty of something so that I find that even like now I'll get lost in something and I look like a right moron, I'm sure. I can just walk into town and sit down and there's something really mundane opposite me. There's a, just a tree like every other tree, but I can just get lost in the beauty of the tree. Like I'm lost in the beauty of the tree. It's it's just, I'm caught. There's just sensory overload for the experience that I'm having. And it's more akin to the experience I had as a child. It fills me with joy and wonder to look at that object. And that just arises automatically. I don't sit there and think, right, recognize the beauty. It just It's there. Because gradually what's happened is that second stage of consciousness is starting to dissolve. So consciousness one and three have a much more... Um, close kind of relationship to each other the sense of self is taken out of the way so my true self or true er, it's on a sliding scale is starting to really sort of experience life just like i did as a child you know and so <laughs> it probably makes no sense it's really difficult to do these talks after sitting practice <laughs> maybe i should always do these talks before sitting practice because i go you know My head gets um, a little bit vague, a little bit conceptual rather than literal. So maybe it's not a good time to explain something. So I apologize if you've just wasted all this time listening to me go on about complete shit. But, yeah, because consciousness one and three are starting to have a greater degree of communication, now I'm changing. Now I'm changing. Now there's a transformation. Transformation. Now I'm not Demo, any- well I'm still Demo, you know what I mean, but I'm not that Demo, I'm not who I was. There's an actual evolution that feels useful. It feels like when I do the practice that now something is transforming. My life is changing, I'm changing, the way I react to things is changing, the way I experience the world is changing. Now my arts are fruitful in that sense. I've stopped hunting the experience of the third consciousness. I don't even bother anymore. You know, it's not like I'm looking, I've had the hit, I had the hit of the transcendent state. I went to places that, I, I mean, I won't, you know, no word of exaggeration, now you can call me arrogant. I've been to states of consciousness and realms of existence that are very, very deep. But I was still the same asshole when I came out of them. So ultimately they were useless, they were no different from taking some drugs and getting a hit, they were just an experience rather than an insight into the nature of self and as soon as i step back from wanting those experiences and instead developing insight into the nature of my distortions that it just unfolded experientially because of applying my awareness to that level of who i am then actually my true nature can interact with the world on a greater degree i don't get the same hit the same experience the same high but now i'm actually transforming now i'm changing